Some of the things I do could be considered as impossible, though I also look at them as highly improbable. Now, highly improbable is not impossible and not perhaps astounding unless it's on demand. If I can make the highly improbable happen on demand, then it feels impossible. Welcome to the Women in Magic podcast, where we explore the meaning of magic in a brand new way. Through awesome interviews with amazing guests, we'll do a glittery deep dive into the topics of magic, mentalism, performance, creativity, spirituality, intuition, and entertainment to peel back the curtain and look at the power and role that magic plays in all of our lives. Through shining the spotlight on incredible magicians and masters of their craft across the world, together we'll feel completely inspired by their insightful lessons, hilarious stories, and wild adventures. Thank you for joining me on this magical journey. Joining me today is Adam Axford, a wordsmith, magician, and mentalist who uses his work to help uncover the magic that we all have inside. At the core of Adam's philosophy is a single idea, that our words shape our reality. He believes everyone holds the magic to transform their lives and uses his work to help people achieve this. Weaving together riddles, rhymes, magic, wonder, illusion, and wordplay, Adam's style of magic is like nothing, and I mean nothing you have ever experienced before. Welcome, Adam Axford. It is a beautiful to have you on. Uh, beautiful to be on. Good to see your big smiley face on the screen. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for the pre-show. I just got a little taste of all of these little gadgets in his special room as he was setting up the most perfect setting behind him, making sure that you didn't give any secrets away. And it looks beautiful. There's definitely a few secrets laying around for those who might notice. But uh, hey, um. One of those people who I create clutter. <laughs> that's uh, as part of the process, I promise. Creative clutter, aka genius. That's it. That's it. Let's kick off with a beautiful big question. What does magic mean to you? Wow. Okay. Magic to me is the experience of connecting with impossible. And it reminds us that the impossible can be improbable and the improbable can be something that's a complete potential. So it's this kind of connecting line between something that cannot happen and something that actually will. So as a magician, we get to create that bridge right in front of someone and something that feels so intangible can be placed right inside their hands. You know, something that's unreachable suddenly becomes within grasp. So it serves as quite the metaphor for other impossible things within our mind that might actually be a, a real potential for us. I love that. What is the most impossible creation or experience you have ever delivered to someone and shared with someone? Oh, wow. See, I, I like to make space for luck on occasion. And I've tried my luck a lot of times in life. And sometimes this happens in performance. So an example would be this has happened to me three occasions I can think of where I've dropped a card mid-performance. I don't do so many card tricks these days, but shuffling it and doing a show-off cardistry moments and one will fall. And due to the nature of the routine and my controlling of the cards, I know that that card isn't the one that they have chosen, okay? But I don't know what it is. And I've said to the person, I want you to think of any card, not the card that you just chose, but a completely different one. And I remember the first time I tried this and they said six of clubs. And I reached down, I just picked it up off of the table in front of me where it had fallen. And as I turned over, I saw it was a six of clubs and turned and showed it to them. And I said, explain wow. that. And they say, 
I can't. That's impossible. So it's happened three times. I've tried it a few times and it hasn't worked, but I feel that the courage itself somehow evokes the, how do I say this? Uh, Terence McKenna has this beautiful line. He says that nature loves courage. It shows that it loves courage by removing impossible obstacles. So if you dream an impossible dream, nature won't grind you under, it'll lift you up. And this is how magic is done. This is how the shaman can dance in the waterfall. Uh, it is by hurling yourself into the abyss and trusting that it's a feather that awaits you so at times like this giving it a go and just nudging i don't know whether fate is altered in this process but there's definitely a little connection going on so uh, yeah three occasions i've had that direct experience where uh, i'll turn a tragedy into a triumph uh, and if it doesn't work you just turn it around and say, oh, that would be good wouldn't it and you put it aside and it becomes <laughs> uh, a joke that's it so uh, no one cares because it shouldn't happen anyway uh, so a few moments like that have happened for sure where yeah. luck has played its part and I have owned that. If you do fall on the feather bed and the feathers aren't there, what do you do in instances where an effect doesn't actually work? Is it a comedy fallback? Is it a masterful intuitive moment where you just magically transform it into something else? I had this one particular gig where I performed at this RSL club and it was for someone's birthday. I think we're going back about six years or something now. And uh, I did a, a little bit of roving for the crew and uh, maybe like 80, 100 people. And then I sort of stood up in the middle and did a spectacle for everybody. And there was this one point where I brought the birthday boy up. I say birthday boy, he was like late 50s. And I brought him up. And I didn't account for perhaps the amount of beverages that he had consumed. Okay, So I had this perfect little uh, piece about luminary minds, people who have inspired us through their actions, their attitudes and their artistic achievements. I like alliteration. So in this, I had this list of like 200, 300 people in this book of people who have inspired me on my journey and hopefully a few other people can connect with those. And I had him select a page and then there was a few of them on this page and I had him mentally prepare one of those people and I, I tried to narrow down to it and when it got down to the end and I was like okay finally and I, I kind of knew who it was I knew I knew and it was all ready and I was ready for this reveal and it was beautiful and then he looks at me and he goes Barack now Barack Obama's not in my list of influential people although he is quite the charmer <laughs> I try not to touch base with uh, certain levels of politics if I work I was like, oh, uh, who is in my list, however, is Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Obama. <laughs> so he had perhaps transformed that in his mind to this. And anyway, so it just fell on its ass completely. And I just had to own it. And I went, okay, uh, well, look, this hasn't worked out in the way that I hoped. It was a shame that it was for the birthday boy, you know, and it was his mistake. But as the performer, we have to own the mistake. And it, ultimately, it's my mistake for not controlling the situation. And, and I mean, look, what more can we do? So I just welcomed him down. I said, okay, well, that didn't work out, but I'm still going to bow like a champion because that is what champions do. And I took a bow and got my applause and then just proceeded <laughs> with the last part of it. It's fine. It's fine. And like wearing it, just wear it. It's fine. Like yeah. people see the humanity on you in you. They might chuckle and laugh, but like if anything, I feel like that the chuckling and laughter is really the distraction within our own self for our own unwillingness to partake in impossible tasks. So I've said this recently in a talk, I've been failing my way to success my entire life. I'm analyzing like 
Carl Jung's understandings of archetypes and how the archetypes aren't descriptors of us. They are a force that works through us. And obviously we have the archetype of the, the carer, the hero. We have archetypes of the martyr. And perhaps you can see some of these expressing themselves in people that you know, and the person is not going out of their way to fulfill this archetype, but it happens and they don't know why. For me, it is very much being the trickster and or the fool these two things perhaps interchangeable and it isn't because i perform tricks like the trickster or the fool they are compelled to the boundaries they go to the edges the fringes they go to the edge of what is possible of what is acceptable and they push the edges they destroy the boundaries they make new boundaries they extend them they dance around beyond the pale the place that people are uncomfortable to go to and that is something i've always been drawn to and sometimes that can come across as inspiring sometimes it can be crap sometimes it can be creative other times it can be destructive and i don't always know why however recently i figured out that the willingness to fall on your face in the unknown in the discomfort of the unknown is a way of annihilating humiliation or at least making yourself somewhat impervious to failure and humiliation so through constant attempts at succeeding and failing relentlessly we learn to get up without question and just dust yourself off and get on with it, right? And Carl Jung understood that the fool or the trickster is the precursor for the archetype of the savior. And in order for you to be a savior and help and heal others, you must be impervious to humiliation and impervious to the impact of failure so that you can no longer worry about what you look and feel like as you stand up there in an attempt to heal the rest of people who perhaps haven't had the courage to go beyond the pale and fall on their face as many times. So, uh, yeah, a little recent realization there. I hope I answered the question. No, I love that. So I'm hearing that magic is very good for breaking and shattering your ego and making you very humble. I guess it is. Yeah, it is. Humbleness definitely comes into it. And, and there's this dance between humble and confidence, you know? Yeah. I mean, confidence and arrogance, they often are mistaken. Arrogance is a false confidence to make up for the absence of such. Whereas actual confidence, we see this in some of our heroes, some of our idols, and it can be difficult for us to take on board, though when we do see it in someone that we truly admire, we aspire to have that belief in self. Though for someone to just outlandishly call themselves a genius or the best at what they do or, you know, like I'm aware of my own brilliance, okay? I'm aware of my own brilliance and my own capacity for brilliance and I channel that as much as I can and I fail in the process many times and I'll continue to push forward in, in order to share that brilliance with the world. And being confident to share my opinions and thoughts on that that's another thing because if you look at a brand something like coca-cola it's not sometimes coca-cola or maybe coca-cola it's always coca-cola right they believe in their brand and they'll push their poison through your mouth down into your stomach daily and they'll do that and they believe in it wholeheartedly i was just about to say this is not an advertisement for coca-cola but then when you described it as poison clearly there is no affiliation with coca-cola okay. i mean look also coca-cola like their success is huge and their impact of course is huge 
huge too. Though that is, I don't know the actual backstory though. I'm just gonna, uh, from someone who's been an entrepreneur their whole life, it was most likely a small business between, I don't know, friends or brothers or something like this, who decided to push this little local grandma's recipe into fruition and eventually becomes a global enterprise and we recognize the colors red and white with that brand. So it is a perfect example that everybody's dream can make it, right? And they did that by it being always Coca-Cola, not by being sometimes or maybe or if on a good day. So why can't we, why don't we take that inspiration from these brands who use cult-like uh, behaviors to program us to buy their stuff? Why can't we use that level of self-belief about ourselves and see where we can go, what we can do to take ourselves to new heights? Your ethos with all of your magic is the pursuit of awe and wonder. Yes. Why does this drive you in the way that it does? Oh, wow. That's a fantastic question. I figured that perhaps my whole life has been on a quest for awe-inspiring experiences and the feeling of wonder itself. And this comes back to the trickster archetype working through me, being compelled to the boundaries and the edges and that would be the unknown it would be the extremities that what's the most offensive joke what's the most you can be tickled without passing out like all of these edges right so whatever it is magic it definitely does this and awe and wonder is a feeling uh, or experiences that we can at least hope to replicate because awe comes in a number of ways awe can come through like the admiration and astonishment of something that we witness uh, it can come from group effervescence group effervescence being something like like when the beat drops in the club or when the chanting begins in the stadium or when the music that is mentioned, the, I don't know, the words in the music, it, the message resonates with us and it trickles through. Like it's a shared experience. So we can get this in dance, we can get this in syncopated music. And you'll see this when people will be bowing together in unison. Recently, I was in Bali and we went and got blessings under this divine waterfall. And uh, it was in the ritual and the shared experience of movement that I feel that it really evokes this level of awe. Though awe is also a property of nature. So maybe you know the famous double rainbow video where the guy captures this double rainbow and he's just gleefully like oh, oh like he's having a mind gasm as he sees this moment and we hear it we don't see him but we hear him and we can relate and it makes us laugh and smile because we know what precise emotion that is and we have felt it perhaps not often enough so my hope is to give people a slice of that feeling, a little snapshot of it on demand and sometimes we achieve that on demand right Oh, I love that little tag, on demand. On demand. Impossibilities on demand, yeah. Well, I guess there's a difference as well. Like uh, some of the things I do could be considered as impossible, though I also look at them as highly improbable. Now, highly improbable is not impossible and not perhaps astounding unless it's on demand. If I can make the highly improbable happen on demand, then it feels impossible. You are a wordsmith. We'll get to that. Do you use the language of impossible and highly improbable to speak to both the left brainers and the right brainers? <laughs> because the impossible speaks to the creatives and the highly improbable speaks to the analyticals. Is that intentional? That makes a lot of sense for sure. No, that isn't intentional, but I feel that there is a divide. And if I show you something impossible, I feel that your logical brain will find an answer for that. Whereas if I show you something highly improbable, on demand, then perhaps you won't look for the answers because you know that what happened is possible, although highly unlikely, and you were just fortunate enough to experience it here and now in the present. 
So, oh my God, you are amazing. So you, you have a background in hypno. So part of the magic of what you just did was you use language, you use pacing, you used your body then, you use such intentional words to convey a message. How much of an impact or influence did hypnotherapy sort of have on your magic and mentalism career and how much do you use it even unconsciously? It's wild that you mention it. And I was only in recent discussion with you that uh, I was reminded why I should perhaps let people know about this a little bit more, that this is something that I do. Hypnosis was a beginning stage for this whole thing. I mean, we can get into it at some point, but um, there was a particular defining moment when I was 20 that I fork in the road and, and on this fork in the road, I chose to do an NLP course and a hypnotherapy training and hypnosis training. And then I started diving into, I took to it and it was the first time I'd studied. I'd go into sit in Starbucks and burn my way through chai lattes and, and just like study in my book and write notes and work through this. And I cared so much. I never had this passion in school. And eventually, I had my own clients and I was early, I was like 23 or something at this point. And I was being able to transform people through words and language. And I was definitely young and hopeful and ambitious and has full of life. That vitality I hope to tap into more often, though the inexperience was there and I was very aware of the inexperience and I'd feel it at times. I remember I had this one client who reached out and he said, oh yeah, I'm like 48, I'm divorced, I'm gambler, I smoke and I'm an alcoholic and I need some help. And I was like, yo, I am not qualified to deal with this. I felt like I would be a charlatan if I pretended I, I was ready for that. And that was one of the moments that actually made me question my own abilities and push myself away from it. And then around this same time, I'd already been nurturing some sleight of hand skills and getting into the performance aspect and realized that not only is the performance better paid, <laughs> but there is more opportunity for me to get it. I don't have to be confined within this therapy room, taking on the weight of other people's problems. And I can actually heal people through the act of the transformative moments of magic. And during a show, whether it's 10 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever it is, people don't care about the parking ticket they've got to pay. They don't care about the whatever the problem is, the, the thing they have to handle. None of that is an issue because they're purely present and poured into the wonder of the moment. And that to me is a better service that I can give a room full of people than perhaps spending my time with one particular person who I might be out of my depth with their issues. Yeah, love that. Okay, so you're a wordsmith in the true sense of the word. Like I don't think anyone after they've seen your stuff can call themselves a wordsmith. Did your love of language and your riddles and your rhymes, did that come from understanding the power of language through hypnotherapy or were you always into words? And just for some context, Adam's rhyming is phenomenal. If you could just maybe share a little bit with us just to give everyone a little taste of what I'm talking about. I can share something. You have to strap yourself in for this one. Buckle yourself in, but do not buckle under the pressure of this moment. So here's what we're going to try. Actually, it's a story about magician and poet. And it goes, pick a card, any card, take it out and show it. And make sure the whole room sees as long as I don't know it. Actually, here's a pen. If you could just sign your name and blow it. Okay. So this is the point of the trick where the card is signed and we need to like mix it back into the deck so we can make this trick a little bit more impossible. Yeah. So as I riffle through the cards, if you could just say stop. 
top, right about there. There we go. And I'll place these on top. And could that be any more fair? I'll be honest, the point of this question is to shift attention away from this direction because it's the precise moment in time I control this selection to a desired location. It's called misdirection. See, it's not as fair as you think it is. And when you put the card back, I kept a little break where my pinky is and performed a move called the pass, which is a way to swap the top half with the bottom and the bottom with the top. And then I give the deck a couple of flips and a shuffle and mix. And I'll probably get in trouble for this, but these are not genuine shuffles. They're tricks. So the card you chose is now in first position. And this magician is one step ahead on his mission. You want to hear the rest of the story? Yes, please. Okay, so <laughs> it's a true story. And this particular night, I was killing it, right? I was crushing it. I had the team on side as a small crowd, but uh, working with them. And they were on my team. And this was awesome. And I didn't know what the card was, but I knew exactly where it was. I mean, I could focus on my performance, okay? And then right then, as we're about to kick in gear, this, this big fella in the front row, he stands up and he says, let me shuffle. <laughs> so I tried to ignore him. Let me shuffle. I was like, mate, this is not an open forum. Let me shuffle. <laughs> and I just smiled at him softly, but he reached out and he snatched the cards right off me. And he was bigger than me. I was still pretty young. And to him, this was just some silly fun. But for me, I put hours on this. Thousands of clips, books, lectures devoured on this just for a coward like this to ruin the moment. I said, mate, I am not your opponent. I just want you to feel this elusive emotion. Wonder and awe can leave you jaw dropped, frozen. And right then his big mouth opened and he said, all right, don't cry. I don't mean to mess your trick up. But I've got a trick for you. 52 card pickup. And he threw the cards up in the air. They rained down over me in slow motion. It was like confetti, <laughs> but of a very sad kind. And, um, I tried to look around those chuckles and, you know, moments happening in the crowd, a bit humiliating, but I appreciate banter, but we don't tell a five-year-old the truth about Santa. We let them believe in the tooth fairy because growing up is already too scary. And this is the part about adulthood that's so tragic. At a certain age, we stop believing in the magic. And now this grown man's trying to mess my trick up with a joke about 52 pickup. But what he doesn't know is a good magician keeps a trick up their sleeve for this kind of hiccup. A plan B, a backup. <laughs> Before we open the pack up, let's pause for a minute and back up. You chose a card out of 52 potentials. And what we're about to do is beyond coincidental, it is my time for redemption. So I just need the whole room's undivided attention in your biggest voice, loud and clear. Please name your card for the whole crowd to hear. Eight of hearts. Eight of hearts. Eight of hearts. Eight of hearts. You see, moments like this are why I persist in convincing people that magic exists because as we reach the crescendo of story and verse and we spread through the cards, one is reversed. You see, magic and wonder, childlike fascination are all products of our imagination and it is your appreciation that is my validation. So I hope we just earned a standing ovation. Ovation! Eight of hearts, eight of hearts. Boom. I am going to ask my audio guy to chuck in such a massive round of applause right here. Loves that. How on earth do you do that? What comes first, the rhyming, <laughs> the story? I want to ask about both things, to your creative process with your rhyming and, and your words, and then your creative process with creating your own magic. Mm. So where would you like to start with that? Uh, so I feel that these things can be somewhat married for me together, but like that particular piece came in September as a download, like from wherever source is 
and I just picked up on it. And I'll be real, like maybe since 2013, I wanted to create a rhyming card trick and I wanted to go through like the classic card performance that most magicians will learn known as the ambitious card. So you get a card selected, you yeah. have it signed, you lose it somewhere in the deck and it works its way to the top and then you put it back in the middle and then it appears over here in an impossible location and so on and so forth. So a mirroring for the person's ambition. You know, if you work at it, you can end up wherever you want to be. And it's a beautiful trick and I still perform variations of this, though I wanted to narrate the trick in rhyming format and have these little witty moments. And it never happened. And then finally the penny drop moment was, don't have a deck of cards. And suddenly it became so much more compelling and it just happened. And I, I wrote the whole thing in about three hours. The next day I had internalized it and I performed it to a friend. And by the end of the week, I'd made the tweaks required. Uh, and then the following week I performed it for a big group of people. And now it is the closing moment for my show. So I get to share something like that after all of the other spectacles and concepts and ideas that we unpack. My uh, hurdle was sharing rhymes like that to a room full of people who perhaps I, I wouldn't class them as someone who's into that. But what I learned is it doesn't matter. And one of the first big rooms I did, it was like 250 people. Average age range was about 60 in the room, right? They're all like mortgage people and they were like well on. It was an awards night. And you could hear a pin drop, you could hear an absolute pin drop for the whole duration of this story. And I realized then uh, rhyming is a way that we learn when we are two years old and we are being sat on the lap of a parent and they are flipping through this book that has a predictable journey through the phonics of the rhyme scheme. And somehow within the confines of uh, the available words due to its requirement to rhyme, we still manage to have surprises happen. Elizabeth Gilbert, she says that great art should be both surprising and inevitable. And I feel that with some good rhymes, that is what we find. It is inevitable because we had a narrow choice of words, but it's surprising because somehow we still manage to capture the essence of whatever the emotion is we're hoping for. So that's it. I feel that words are magic and magic is a degree of words and language anyway. I mean, it's all code. It's all ones and zeros. Yeah. Wow. So, so many questions. Okay. So you mentioned that it was a download and you speak of the divine and you're very spiritual in your essence and your outlook. How do you connect magic and spirituality? So I guess magic and spirituality are both an attempt to contain the transcendent within a word, right? Now, the spiritual, it's so strange because when we put these label on things, it's like the label strips it of its magic too. And this is part of the hedonic adaptation. You know, we become so adapted to new things that they are no longer new. And once the newness is lost, the luster has gone. And once something lacks luster, then we are absent of gratitude for it. And we see this so much around us. It's a driving force for our own progression, though it is also a limitation for our own happiness because I can sit around in this incredible place and have all of the technology that's almost godlike. And, and occasionally I can still feel bored, right? So I'm like, what's going on? So with that, the magic and the spirituality, just as a word, they become this other thing. Whereas really it's just a label we put on something that is like transcendent. It, it is beyond our understanding. It is beyond the limitations of physics and it is beyond the limitations of, of ourselves, our own achievements. Spirit, what is it? 
ultimately, regardless of what your opinion is, every single model of existence begins with a miracle. And we can call that miracle creationism. God built the world in six days and took a nap on the seventh. We could say that it is a big bang. And somehow, for no reason at all, in infinite nothingness, everything sprang into existence instantly, right? Sounds like a miracle to me. There's a singularity at the beginning of all of them. Even if it's a simulation that we say that we're all trapped in, there's a miracle somewhere that enabled the simulation to start, right? So we, we get trapped within the confines of physics and our understandings of this three-dimensional space that we live in. But ultimately, there's more going on. And I feel that magic and spirituality are our attempt to bridge that gap and feel the poetic essence of the indescribable, the intangible. It's our way of connecting and trying to communicate with the ineffable. No words for it. Are you looking for amazing new magic effects? My friends at Global Magic Shop have an incredible range of hand-picked exclusive products directly from magic creators. These unique magic and mentalism effects, coupled with their huge online catalogue, provide the perfect additions to any street magic, stage magic, close-up magic, corporate magic or party repertoire. Head to globalmagicshop.com.au and use the coupon Jordana for a 10% discount for all new customers. So when you're about to perform... What is your intention? Are you, I want to deliver an impossible experience. I want to fill their hearts. I like, what is your guiding light when you are sharing your magic? Yeah. Now it is like, I hope the people will be transformed in some way. And like, I say this often, like I speak for the few who do listen. I'm aware that I have a genocide quote about <laughs> what I do. And I feel that if there are a hundred people in the room and five of them get the message, those are the five people who the show was for and the rest of them i hope that they're at least moderately amused right but the fact is that the people who do make their way out of the mess to approach you and let you know or like tupac said this yeah one of the most incredible i feel like he channeled the archetypes of he was like a, a militant hero but he was also like a, a beautiful heartfelt poet and he connected with beauty and he connected with strength in this really marvelous way. And he says he won't be the person who changes the world, but he guarantees he'll spark the minds that does. And I feel that that's what I hope to embody when I perform. I might not be able to make the changes, but there might be one person in this room right now who is the one that does. And that is the real magic to inspire that and have that legacy right there. You know, they say the purest form of giving is anonymous to anonymous, right? And perhaps I'm up there on that stage for sure, but I might never hear about the changes that happened in the world of the people I inspired. That's okay. That's okay. I don't need to know. I don't need to feel that glowing sense of achievement. And sometimes you do find that out and that's beautiful and, and it's good. But I'd hope that every person who lets me know, perhaps there are 10 or 100 people who didn't say a thing, who didn't even bother to double tap that video, you know, that's okay, that's okay. If the art has done its work, then I'm just in service to the art itself too. Which is very unique because you are speaking about the creativity that comes to you as being something that you share with that being your main guiding light, which is very different to doing magic so that you can perform a trick, so that someone feels entertained. So it feels like your orientation to magic and mentalism is very unique. Yeah, I, like, cool, you're going to get entertained when I do this. I get it. I speak in a nice poetic rhythm. I've got some nice sharp-witted quick moments. For those who pay attention to wordplay, perhaps there are some double meanings and some cool little plays on words or alliteration that might make you feel a certain way if you notice it. 
that's cool. That's attention to detail. And, and I love putting that in. But ultimately, it's not mine. I may perform these things and I may feel that like I've come up with that or I've discovered that concept, but I'm just a conduit for it, right? I'm not Islamic, but they would say all praise is due to Allah, right? It's just like the creator is responsible for all things and I'm merely a recipient of that information and I get to choose to put that out into the world. And sometimes, you know, the praise is given back to me, but really like what am I but a, a messenger for this so also there's a good little barrier for when the work sucks because you'd be like, yo, don't shoot a messenger. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but like these concepts have been around since the dawn of time. I understand like Romans and Greeks, they would say that they, they didn't have an idea. They were with one. And the muse would come and do its bidding through you. And sometimes that results in brilliance. And often it doesn't. But that's, that's okay too. So on what you were just saying, what role does intuition play in the moment when you're sharing your ideas that you are saying and not your ideas that you are just a channel for? How does intuition guide you, move you, direct you? Good question. Uh, intuition is what our ability to trust ourselves. That's it. It's just the trust. So uh, I feel that the more you tap into flow, flow state is something that really captured my attention about three years ago. And early COVID, I was pouring all of my focus into it and I was teaching self-defense at the time. And you have to be present when you're uh, sparring with someone because you quickly get hit and reminded why you should be paying attention. So uh, flow really, and, and, and flow, you'd know it. Like when you're on stage and you get that blackout moment, you'd be like, whoa, who was she? They just killed it, right? And you just like, you are separated from self. And in that moment, you become part of the bigger thing. So that's the degree of oneness with all. And the sense of self dissolves away and we become, yeah, a part of the whatever we want to call it, the collective unconscious or whatever it is. And then we can allow that to channel through us and we can trust ourselves. So intuition taps into that perfectly. It's silencing the critic in your head and they say with flow like we feel like this concept oh we only use 20 percent of our brain what if we could unlock the other 80 percent you know that they've made films about this but when you're in flow state you actually use less of your brain because the prefrontal cortex that's responsible for self-editing for making sure that the thing i say right now is appropriate for the context and how will they think and feel about me what is it that i'm being viewed as right now as i say this shut that thing up, right? And that's how freestyle rhyming can happen. That's how beautiful ideas can come through you, but not from you. And although they are with you, they belong not to you, to, to quote another great mind whose name alludes me right now. It's, <laughs> I was just expecting that was part of the rhyme, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in there. It's the case though, right? We just become that. So intuition, spirituality, flow state, I feel that these things are there. And like, I don't need to bathe my crystals under full moon lights to feel like I have a connection with the divine. I don't need to flip paper cards with pictures on them to feel that I'm channeling some other brilliance or beauty. Not to say that those things don't possess some kind of magical properties when practiced correctly and done with the right heart. I had my first ever tarot reading in October, November, in November. And I was actually quite blown away from it. Not that moment in question, but within the next three or four days, I had quite a profound experience that mapped everything. And I ended up having this vision and it brought me back to my five-year-old self and whilst connecting and atoning with the issues at that particular fundamental part of my, my development, I just launched my book. And this is a bit that broke me in this, in this moment. And I, I handed him my book and then realized that I had it in me 
since then. And I'd always had it. And uh, that was all linked to these, you know, part of that was a tarot reading that led to the unravelings of this and, you know, various other um, magical helping uh, tools to, to, to get me there. But yeah, intuition, spirituality, trust of self, flow state, I feel that they're all part of the, the same yeah. family. I completely agree. And within magic, when you're learning magic, there's not a lot of discussion of intuition. Whereas we use it, we need it on stage, we need it to read audiences, we need yeah. it to gauge where we're going to go in the next moment. Do you have any idea why intuition within magic literature is not really connected? I feel that people want things that work without failure. You are a genius. I mean, I knew that, but you yeah, are. Yeah, right. So like I'm, earlier we spoke about luck, right, and then allowing space for the luck to fall into to the moment and the wonder that can come from that. And then that way, like, I get to feel the magical moment too, aside from the, the, the reaction from the person. I get to be like, wow, this is an uncanny synchronicity. And when we are courageous and we seek adventure and try our luck, like the synchronicities reveal themselves more often. So when it comes to like magic literature and our like focused sort of unpack magic tricks and whether it's a little packet trick and a packet trick, for example, might be like three or four cards that maybe or may not have been altered in a certain way to facilitate a certain trick. And you can carry that in your top pocket, right? And it will come with a little paper printout and you get to read through. And we're going back to stuff that might have been printed in 1928 or something, right? And you look through these old things and it's brilliant. It's like a bridge towards learning more and, and developing your own things. But in that, it's something that I don't want to say self-working. You might have to learn some kind of degree of a patter and process and sleight of hand and stuff like that. And that's beautiful to do. But ultimately, if you apply those ingredients and that, that recipe in the right order, the trick happens. Now, when it comes to things like intuition and luck, there is no actual rhyme or reason for this to happen every single time. And when it does, it feels more magical, but you can't pack that up and sell that to people. There are a few magicians who do. And we could say like their work is like, you might use the word wishy-washy, right? Because it's like, ah, it might work, it might not. But if you start putting these things in, in as the wrapping for stuff that is guaranteed, let's say, so I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but you've got a trick that's pretty much a sure shot and you know how you're going to make it work. If you can start allowing space for that intuition and that luck and that synchronicity, if it doesn't land, it's fine because the finale is coming and that's a sure shot. But you can create real wondrous moments if you allow for that and you're willing to flow through the highly likely moment that it doesn't work out. But when it does, yeah. when it does. So, yeah, you can't package that up and sell it in the same way, unfortunately. But Or maybe fortunately, maybe that's something we develop over time. Oh, how does it just come to you? And then fortunately, or maybe not, like that was just mastery, mastery, my friend. A genius whispering this in a little earpiece in my ear and they're just, uh, yeah, it's telling me what to say backstage. Good angel and a devil. Both <laughs> shoulders are covered there. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Precisely. So you love words and you, you recently released a book, Riddle and Rhyme. How does that compare to the magic that you create? Like, do you love all your creations equally? What beautiful thing about this was with the book, it was the first time that uh, a piece of my brain was able to live beyond me, 
Okay. Mm. So I performed at a, in January, at like a transcendent, a transformative festival, let's say, or some people would say a push doof. This was a little bit more of a glow up than that, but uh, there was a real beautiful attention paid to aesthetics and the feeling that you get from that attention to detail. I, I don't think they made any profit for this event. They went all out and, and it moved me being there. And I was fortunate to perform a bunch of shows and I sold, I brought 20 books with me and they all went. One person was like, I want everything you've got left. And he bought them all so he could give them out to other people. And having that, the sense of achievement and accomplishment is beautiful because normally I would spend like six months putting together a new show and maybe that's a ticketed event and I do two nights at a fringe somewhere and then there's nothing left other than a little glow from doing it and then a creative hangover afterwards where you realize that all of that work and effort would, what actually came of that. Of course, seeds take some time to grow, you know, but we're so conditioned by the tools of consumerism to have something instantly. I can get my Uber in three minutes and get a pizza in 15 minutes. So we feel that why can't my hopes and dreams be achieved so quickly? I just put the work in. Whereas this is something that I did actually put my work in daily. And then eventually I had the book and uh, it's a beautiful little thing. There's a few little secrets built in, but I wanted something that felt wonderful to hold on to. And I know that people can enjoy the creations that have come through me without me being there. So you have a Amazing. special affinity with this. It was a good discipline to just accept after going to print that it is done. My website, I work on sometimes twice a week, fixing bits and tweaking things as if it matters. Whereas this was a real exercise in knowing that, okay, it is printed and it exists and it is a snapshot of time. It can never be changed. And for as long as this exists, it will be in, in this exact format. And I feel that there's something beautiful in that, in the way that we can just edit, undo, and change everything these days on digital. Yeah, you can hold it, and it always will be this. So there's a good lesson in there for me. Yeah, amazing. You can hold it. It is real until you make it vanish. Ta-da! So on to the topic of the title of this podcast, Women in Magic. There is evidently an imbalance between males and females within the industry. What are your thoughts on that? Why are there so many more men than women? Straight away, we could argue that magic is like a, a STEM topic, you know, science, technology. It's knowing how things work and then a, a quest to sort of find methodology to make these things happen. And, and there can be stuff that is a little bit mechanical involved in this, but those mechanics could also be like mental process or distractions and misdirections. So for the most part, I feel, although it's very popular at the moment to try to dissolve the differences between male and female. I feel that it's the differences that are the most beautiful parts of us. And uh, I feel that difference is something that we should highlight as much as we can and celebrate. It's wonderful. And so often we try to blend in with the herd. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, for the most part, while there are exceptions, girls growing up like girl things and boys growing up like boy things. And someone out there will say gender is just a construct. It's a social construct. And I'll say that social constructs are a social construct. So get over it. All right. I knew that was coming. Oh my God, I knew that was coming. I know you by now. Yeah. You got me. So with that being said, let's just say that it's a boy thing, you know, and there are girl things that I very much like and appreciate. And I'll dive into that. And that helps me be more of a balanced human being. And there will be boy things that you like, 
that you lean into that will accentuate differences and nuances about you and your journey. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you're tapping into that in some regard for the newfound quest. I mean, even just seeing your interest in NFTs and the web space, you know, and just seeing the understanding of how things are moving, chat GPT, all of this, these could be labeled as stereotypically boy things, right? And that's okay. It's wonderful that they are welcoming of everybody. All topics should be open and we should be open-minded for that. So I think for a long time, magic has occupied that kind of space. And perhaps as we sort of evolve as a people and evolve as a society and a, a culture, things like intuition and spirituality, which we could perhaps argue might lean a little bit more on the feminine side, we could perhaps have a case for that. If they make their way into magic, then we might also see more of a balance of those values being expressed. I can only speak from my own limited life experience, you know, and these are just ideas and they might be right or wrong. And like I said, all ideas come from source. So don't shoot a messenger. <laughs> so you've basically just gone, so this is what I think. But if anyone doesn't agree with that, it wasn't from me. It was from them. them, them. No, you know, I'm happy to have a, a discussion about these topics with anyone. I think it's important that we can speak about these in a safe way and share ideas because ultimately it isn't about being right or wrong. It's about discovery and understanding. And uh, it's wonderful that someone like yourself who has such vibrant feminine qualities that would step into a realm that can be a little bit through the constant male, let's just say, dominance, let's say, of this particular industry. I would say like the original magicians would be like the shaman, the witches and mm. you know, voodoo people. And I would assume that that would be without a gender preference uh, throughout time. It would probably be more a sign of autism or some other kind of speciality that exists within the person. And at that particular time, they see this as a precondition potential for seeing the world in a different way and separating those people somewhat from the tribe and allowing their beautiful God-given difference to manifest through an alternative perspective on the way that we live our lives. Whereas nowadays, we're very much sort of kept within the narrow confines. And if you have some kind of special quality that doesn't fit within, let's say, the expected requirement to sit at a desk for seven hours a day and listen to someone say stuff at you, then they will give you a medication. Oh, you must have uh, an amphetamine deficiency. So load your kids up on this and keep them nice and safe within that confine, you know. So there's a lot to be said about how we treat specialness and difference in this in this society we have a lot to be grateful for in this society too so i don't want to shun it at all it's beautiful it's beautiful though yeah looking back in our tribal ways before we had this civilization build up i would imagine the beauty and the magic being quite shared across all genders and all genres of person do you think in your 16 years in magic and mentalism have you seen more of that balance coming? Is it coming slowly? It's great now that we have the ability for the internet to just share stuff, you know, like uh, I follow pretty just as much female magicians as I do guys. Uh, there's a girl online, Sonia Benito, I think her name is, and she's really cool and she's got this like street edge and she's just kind of got this like little sassy attitude and she's a lovely looking young woman and uh, she's really expressive what she does and she just adds and I like seeing that and there's a I mean there's a bunch I had uh, Laura London is a, a legend in magic and uh, I was really fortunate to connect with her a few years ago when she was here she came over after her gig and we enjoyed a couple of coronas and just uh, before it was a virus and then we just sort of crammed <laughs> on ideas and this was before I did my first real show together and she said 
you have all the ingredients for your show. You just need to stitch them together. And that was when I realized that, oh, yeah, I, maybe I do. And that was a nudge in the right direction. I had, they say that the best meal is the one you can cook with the ingredients you already have in your kitchen. So that's all I had to do. And yeah, so there we go. Perhaps the reason I've got shows is primarily inspired by a female in magic. We need more of them. Hey, look at that. Full circle. Congratulations, Laura. You're listening. Amazing. Thank you so much, Adam. It has been an absolute joy and a treat. You are so creative and you just mentioned that you actually had all the ingredients and then she sort of inspired you to share it with the world. So we all have everything we need. It's just a matter of crossing that bridge to share it. If someone is feeling stuck or lacking creativity or they're just a little bit afraid, what would you share with them? Because you are the guy that is just across everything, can do everything. There, I don't think there is anything that I would ask you to do that you would say, nah, you would just be yeah. like, yeah, when? People, they just need to just give up. It's a hopeless endeavour. They should move beyond it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, very, very inspiring. But it sounds ridiculous when you say it, but that's why our internal monologue will say often, oh, don't bother, why Why am I the expert? Why would people care about what I've got to say? Why should they listen to me? And these vocals go through my brain often. I have to silence that guy, but I also need to listen to what he has to say too because sometimes there can be a nice little gem in there. So it's finding that balance. But realistically, if you're stuck on something, just realize that you are something the universe is doing the way a wave is something the ocean is doing. You are a way of the universe to know itself. You are made of atoms that were forged in a furnace of dying stars. You are a miracle incarnate. And we forget this because we've got bills to pay, we've got to pick up the kids, we've got all of this stuff, we've got responsibilities. There's a team meeting on Monday, I've got to show up for that. All, all that aside, we are these like metaphysical miracles just existed and anything is possible, right? It really is. Like we constantly are blowing away what the rules were and, and replacing them with new things. And we're seeing this with the, the, the modern technologies that are coming about. But even our just realizations that are coming about with pharmacology, psilocybin was just legalized here in Australia for doctors to distribute for people who are suffering from the appropriate ailments. Nothing is really truly impossible. And your role in creating the story is yours to write. You can be the author of your story. And if you be the author of your story, you can create whatever ending you wish for your character and all the other characters in it. Oh, what a way to wrap up. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to include beautiful violin, orchestral beats, and a round of applause, layer them all at the same time. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Adam. You are a gift to the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you, for, you. you for sharing me the gift of this opportunity. And uh, it's been a pleasure to share the screen with you and have this wonderful chat. I hope I can ask you such probing questions for our next meeting, whether that be online or hopefully face-to-face. Yeah, amazing. I will leave the rhymes up to you, but I will happily fill in all of the other creative spots. Thank you so much. You're a legend. To learn more about Adam's magic, you can find a link to his website and his social media accounts in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening and joining our adventure. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a star rating and a review because it will absolutely help spread the magic to so many more people. Catch you next episode.